I actually wrote for the Huffington Post for a couple of years and wrote a, a piece uh, called The Comeuppance and Absolution of James B. Comey, which was about the the timeline that is portrayed in the Comey role. And so I watched it with real interest to see how they would um, put it in this dramatized form. And I, I just thought how fascinating that they were able to do this. And I thought it was fantastic. Hi, and welcome back to The Plot, a podcast on writing and how our words and stories are shaping the world. I'm Sean Douglas. I'm an arts journalist, podcaster, and teacher. And with the election fast approaching, I thought it was a good time to catch up with journalist and political commentator Alex Mahajer. I've interviewed him a few times in the past, and I always enjoy his analysis and prescient takes on American politics. So today we'll be talking about how art should represent and engage with the Trump administration. How do we feel about the film and TV that has been produced in response to the last four years? And what should be the best approaches going forward to document this uniquely turbulent and corrupt White House across future comedies, dramas, and other genres of art? In particular, we're going to look at the Comey Rule, Showtime's new miniseries about former FBI director James Comey's impact on the 2016 election. The show, written and directed by Billy Ray and starring Jeff Daniels as Comey, is, we both felt, very good, and we'll look at how its strategies for dramatizing recent current events could serve as a guide for future work looking to retell the myriad stories and controversies of Trump's presidency. For those not familiar with Mohajer's work, he is a political writer, commentator, and activist whose coverage of the 2016 election and its aftermath made him one of the most shared contributors at HuffPost. He has been interviewed for or featured on the Fox News Channel, PolitiFact, Washington Post, LA and New York Times, Yahoo News, New York Public Radio, and many other outlets, and in 2018 he received an Excellence in Journalism Award from the National Association of LGBTQ Journalists. He is currently the Public and Media Relations Director for the Stonewall Democrats, and he hosts the live-streaming news show The AM Report for HAPS. He's been on the front lines of covering the events depicted in the Comey role, so after watching it for myself, I knew I wanted to hear his take too. In addition to that show, we'll also discuss other Trump-era film and TV that has resonated with us, what other events we want to see get dramatized, and how comedies can approach an administration that often seems beyond parody. So with that, let's get started. Well, hi, Alex. Hey there, Sean. Good to talk to you. How are you? How is your 2020 going? Oh, uh, you know, other than the, uh, the impending apocalypse, mm-hmm. it's just a lot of... Uh, existential dread and social distancing, but all things considered, I I think I'm doing all right. How about yourself? Yeah, I'm not bad. I feel like I've I've very much adjusted to this being how things are. It's almost more just kind of tedious how repetitive certain conversations get um, with just, I don't know, the way things are so similar kind of from day to day, but I'm fine. I'm okay with it. I think you might be right. I think there's definitely this feeling of like this is starting to feel normal that we can't, you know, go to a movie or, you know, that's what I miss. I miss going to the movies, though. We're going to talk a little bit about <laughs> about art and how we're trying to consume it. But, you know, I, I do kind of miss going to the cinema. That's something I miss. Yeah, I miss theater. I miss some live events. 
Um, I miss oh, people, theater. although I also in some ways feel like I'm connecting with people even more because I have to be like so much more proactive about it. But I miss that's true. I miss direct human beings and not not virtual human beings. Right. I mm-hmm. guess I do, and I you know you know I'm very involved in politics, obviously, and I kind of miss having a conventional election cycle where we can go out and knock on doors and you know volunteer and and be around each other. Or even, you know, watch these debates with each other, which would, you know, have a debate viewing party and not have to worry about everything. But, you know, this too shall pass. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I thought we could talk today. Uh, this is partially motivated by the release of the Comey rule, which had me thinking about how there really hasn't been a lot of art or a lot of kind of fictional narrative work created about the Trump administration yet. It's still so ongoing. Um, but we're starting to get a few examples of things. Saturday Night Live has always been kind of creating things because they have such a fast turnaround, of course. And there was the President Show for a while. That was like some of these like early Trump parody kind of things like that. And our cartoon president that was sort of a spinoff from some of Colbert's skits. So we're starting to get a few things. But the Comey rule felt like kind of the first serious, like trying to make sense of what has been happening over the past few years. And I was wondering what you thought about it and also what you thought about just this process of making art about the Trump administration. Like, what stories do you want to see told? How do we tell those stories when we're dealing with people that can be kind of inherently not artful or, you know, Trump is kind of a, not that all human beings aren't complex, but he's kind of a one-dimensional person in a lot of ways. Um, so, So how do you make art about all of that? Oh, I mean, I think you're right. I think that the the depictions of Trump and his, you know, cartoonish administration, if, if that's a word to describe them, I think cartoonish would be a good one, that there's, it's been limited to like late night talk shows and Saturday Night Live and maybe some of these cartoon portrayals that you're talking about. And I think the Comey rule is interesting because it presents it in a traditional um, fictionalized drama type of uh, uh, presentation, and it was presented for Showtime, and uh, I, I did watch it, and it was, I think, the first dramatic, dramatized portrayal of Donald Trump, and it's fascinating because he's currently still in office at the time of this recording. He is still mm-hmm. in office and sitting. Um, in his first term. So I thought it was very fascinating to see how they would tackle it. And I thought it was very interesting. I, I actually wrote for the Huffington Post for a couple of years and wrote a, a piece uh, called The Comeuppance and Absolution of James B. Comey, which was about the, the timeline that is portrayed in the Comey role. And so I watched it with real interest to see how they would um, put it in this dramatized form. And I, I just thought how fascinating that they were able to do this. And I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, I thought it was very good. It was very compelling. And I would say the, the things that I, like the, the only marks I would have really have against it are the fact that it was about something that was ongoing. So it, it was sort of just inherently open-ended. Um, and that's not really its own fault. It's just what happens when you make something about something that's still in process. Film, the, it's a, I guess it's a mini series technically, though it just feels like a two-part, very long film. Mm-hmm. It 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 is 
I think timely because it's posing a question ultimately to the audience about who the president of the United States is compromised by if he is compromised by a foreign hostile power and and what is the nature of that um, of that relationship and it's a question that is not answered at the end of the Comey role but clearly through the narration and through the the narrative of the film that the, the film is trying to cast that um, pose that question to the audience about mm-hmm. uh, who he has relationships with and the ways in which he may be compromised. I think that that's a through line of the film. Mm-hmm. And also, just, it, 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 obviously the film's about James Comey and um, how his commitment to, sometimes misguided commitment to this righteous view of the FBI and to its role in the, in the government and the political process ended up you know, throwing the election for Donald Trump and casting doubt about the Democratic uh, candidate that ultimately, uh, at least the film portends, caused her uh, the election. Mm-hmm. And how did that happen? And then what were the consequences of that? And one of the best parts of the film to me, and it's just my opinion, is Brendan Gleeson, who played President Trump. Mm-hmm. It was, it was I, I think, the hardest thing to do with this with this person is to portray him in a movie because he's already such a cartoon villain that how do you present him in a film like this, in a serious film that's, that's meant to be sort of a serious drama. How do you present him without it being a distraction for the audience who's already used to him being really bombastic and sort of absurd. And I mean, he's an orange faced reality TV show for goodness sake with a, with a, um, you know, his hair looks like the way it looks. He's already such a cartoon character. And I thought, and we have seen the impressions of him by Alec Baldwin and so many others that are so funny. So how do you present this this as a character and have it be taken seriously and with the weight that the film intends to give the character, which is that this is not a, this is not a good guy. And Brendan Gleeson didn't so much do a impersonation of Trump as much as he did a interpretation of him. I thought it was very sinister, a mob boss type of um, almost godfathery like gangster is the way that he portrayed him with a very gruff voice and really played into his his uh, his obsessive compulsiveness and his neurosis and the way he obsesses about people and things and his plays to his spitefulness and sort of the dark nature of the way that his um, narcissism drives him to uh, eliminate his perceived political enemies systematically. And I just thought the portrayal by Brendan Gleeson was was just fantastic. And Brendan Gleeson is a uh, British or sorry, an Irish actor and uh, got a pretty impressive film resume, resume, but he was just really the best part of the film to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't want my previous comments to make it sound like I thought this film was somehow, or not really a film, this miniseries that is just two episodes, um, is somehow incomplete, because it very much feels like a complete work with a very complete message and a very clear message. And I agree that I think just the way that it took Donald Trump and kind of normalized him, but in a very effective, disturbing way, 
was one of the most successful things that it does. Because I think we are used to, at this point, thinking of Donald Trump almost in like this kind of softened way, that when you turn him into a comedic figure, or even present him accurately how he presents himself, it becomes something that you inherently can't take very seriously. And they created a version of him that always had to be, always felt very important, and always felt very disconcerting to have around. And they don't even show him, not to spoil anything about it, but they don't even show him very much until the second episode. So by that point, they've, right. they've built him into this menacing figure that there's no opportunity to be like, haha, it's a Donald Trump impression. It's like, oh, it's that guy. Right. They, they, they went to good lengths to sort of play him up as this foreboding presence that didn't actually even doesn't even actually appear until the second half of the series. So by the time he hits, it's you know and understand that this is a bad outcome already. Mm -hmm. So by the time he hits the screen, and Brendan Gleeson really chews the scenery, I mean, mm -hmm. I, I really, I compare it to The Godfather, his performance is so fantastic, yeah. with, with this really sinister writing that's sort of um, lit from beneath, so all the crevices of his face are just so um, illuminated, and the, the scowl on his face, and the way that he's lit almost in this weird differently than the actors that he's acting opposite. I just think they did a good job adding some really dark weight to it. And, and by, by the time he makes his appearance, you understand that this is a bad thing that's happened and that it's, um, that it's not going to bode well for the remainder of the, of the, of the series. And we know based off, based off of the very public firing of James Comey, where that story is going to go. So I think that you're right that the conclusion of the film really is, what are you, the American people who are watching this now, going to do about it? And that is the, I think the conclusion that the, the filmmakers are trying to, to reach at. Uh, they're trying to say that the end to the story is in your hands. And, you know, very fitting, of course, that the film would come out just 30 or so some days out from a, the, the 2020 presidential election. And I just thought it was fantastic in that way, but also the way that it lines out, lines up for you in real time. You can, you can kind of see the way it chronologically uh, lays out for you the uh, the events that unfolded in a way that we're not used to seeing because so many of these stories have gotten it's so much bombast out of this presidency mm -hmm. that we. Seeing it play out the way that it does on screen in this way, it was really shocking to even me, who has written very extensively about Donald Trump and his presidency and James Comey, to see the scenes where um, there are members of his administration meeting with Russians at the, uh, the Kremlin, um, how... Uh, the presidential candidate for the Green Party, Jill Stein, was meeting at was at that meeting at the Kremlin so short before the presidential election. Having events like that play out chronologically for us made the entire Russia saga that has unfolded in real life even more troubling to someone like me who has written about this. And I felt like I knew the uh, the story fairly well, and so I think that's one of the real benefits of having a dramatization like this is getting to see it play out in real time mm -hmm. yeah and i appreciated the way it didn't 
and this is not a knock on Aaron Sorkin, but it didn't like Aaron Sorkinize certain events, where he likes to write about real things but tell his own story based on real things. This very much just kind of presented things as they actually happened, and it makes the some of the more shocking events even more so because you're so used to everything having a certain kind of conventional sort of almost like procedural aspect to it. These characters do not normally feel very larger than life, except for when you have someone like Donald Trump around. These people feel very believable. They don't even necessarily get tremendous backstories. We just sort of know what we need to know about a lot of them. And then when something happens, like Rod Rosenstein saying he wants to wear a wire into a, a meeting or something where you're like, wait, did that actually happen? I had to remind myself about some of these things actually happening. I, I appreciate that Billy Ray let the story speak for itself because it's already an interesting story and a horrifying story in a lot of ways. And it, it didn't need that kind of extra layer of editorializing with it or extra layer of artistic license. It just said, let's lay this thing out chronologically. Let's show you what happened. And now you as an audience have to process that. I think that's such a good point. And I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on this broadcast, but you can, you can believe it out. I, I thought so many times as I was watching this that you can't write this shit. Mm-hmm. It, 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 and that it happened, it really happened and happened recently. And the way that they, they have it, uh, they have it roll out the way that it does just chronologically and you, and, you, and it's so wild and it feels almost foreign even though you know that this is what has just transpired before our very eyes and it's sort of shocking to think that we have become so numb to the daily sort of chaos that has come out of the last four years of this administration at least in my purview and i apologize if you are listening to this and you feel differently but it's we've gotten so accustomed to that chaos that seeing it play out like this was almost shocking to me because it's almost impossible that it could be something this insane could happen in real life and yet we're watching a a a dramatization of factual events Mm -hmm. and the other thing that I thought was just really interesting to your earlier point is some of this, some of the language that the, the characters are using as someone who's read the Mueller report, who's familiar with a lot of the speeches that are given in the film that were, you know, they're dramatizing speeches that happened in real life. I, some of the, the words that the screenwriter used were word for word from, mm-hmm. um, things that we've read either in the Mueller report, like Peter stroke the FBI agent, uh, word for word, things from his depositions. And I recognized that as I was watching it and you know, conversations that George Adabopoulos had with, um, with Australian um, dignitaries about having dirt on the Hillary Clinton campaign, a lot of the verbiage was verbatim. And mm-hmm. so it sort of adds to this, wild feeling that you have while watching it that I just can't really can't believe that this is real and yeah they're using the exact language Mm -hmm. so given that I think we both would consider this a success I know it got kind of mixed critical reception and I think that's maybe partially because people were just expecting it to be something other than what it was I don't know if they were expecting it to play more like a conventional drama or something when it was more just like dramatizing history but given that I think we both consider this a success, what other stories do you think deserve to be dramatized or 
what could be the future TV shows or films or miniseries based on the Trump administration that you would want to see? I mean, take your pick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> there's been so much scandal out of the out of this. I mean, you could do a, an entire movie about the last week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the, the the president's failed response to the coronavirus, his tax returns. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, who does the president owe four hundred and twenty-one million dollars to? I think mm-hmm. that could be a great second part to this Comey role mm-hmm. about. Um, the more we learn about Donald Trump's taxes and his foreign entanglements and his immense amount of debt and the fact that he pays no income taxes and who to who does he guarantee his debt to? I think in ten years we will see a fantastic follow up to the Comey rule, um, whether it's the, the impeachment uh, and the the political insanity of of this coronavirus pandemic and and the debate last week with Joe Biden. I mean, it, it would all mm-hmm. fare well, but personally speaking, I would love to see a movie about Hillary Clinton. And I'm sure she's sitting somewhere watching all this saying, I told you so, but mm-hmm. I would like, you know, I, I would love to hear that perspective, see that side of the story, because I think now with history, we have come to understand that she was so unfairly maligned in 2016. And I think being the first female major party nominee for, for president, in the United States was worthy of a of a of a kind and reflective telling of what I view as sort of the unfair unfairly depriving her of something that really she deserved and mm-hmm. and that she worked so hard for. So that's my perspective. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and this already invites such a like what could have been, right? Where like it it's it's very clear at least and and I don't know how accurate this necessarily is to real life. I think this was accurate. But like the primary characters all seem to be supporting her in the Comey role for the most part. The at least the ones that aren't part of, you know, Trump's team. There is like that assumption that she's going to win and this assumption that that is better. Um so it would be interesting to see a version kind of like this, just sort of letting things play out and even using a lot of direct quotes as much as possible. And just obviously you can't necessarily see behind the scenes without, you know, making up some of your own dialogue, but in a way that is not like embellished, right? Just like, what, what does the Comey rule look like from the other perspective? (laughs) What is the Clinton rule or whatever? Like, what is the alternative version of that? Well, that actually reminds me, um, speaking of Trump related media, a very good television, fantastic television show. And I can't believe I didn't think of it earlier called The Good Fight, starring Christine Baranski, which is on CBS's streaming uh, platform. It, it, the premise of the show, it's a spin-off of the show called The Good Wife. Mm-hmm. Um, and the premise of the show, the opening series premiere, happens with Christine Baranski, who plays the title character, watching Donald Trump be elected. And the show sort of, is premised on this woman who is about to retire from her law practice, deciding that she's not going to retire because she's got to resist to the Trump administration. And the, the story is sort of absurdist and it's funny and it parallels uh, what's going on in real time with the current events and the Trump administration. I highly recommend that show. And the entire third season takes on this absurdist approach of what would have happened. Well, not the entire third season, but at the beginning of the third season, uh, takes this absurdist approach where it's, uh, where it sort of imagines what 
we would be doing and what we'd be experiencing if Hillary Clinton had won the presidency. Hmm. Recommended for your listeners, yeah. uh, The Good Fight, a very entertaining watch and poses a lot of interesting questions about this administration and our national politics and our, our public and political discourse. Okay. Yeah, I've seen quite a bit of The Good Wife. Um, I never quite caught up with it, um, but I need to go back to that. And, and clearly, I need to watch some of The Good Fight as well. I know a lot of playwrights write for The Good Fight. And it's always a good sign when a show is playwrights. It's a Broadway-heavy show. There's a lot of theater actors and writers on the show, and you can tell. It's, a, it's really funny and, and serious and poignant as well. Mm-hmm. So is there any going back now to, like, the cartoon version of Donald Trump? I feel like now watching Saturday Night Live, it's just kind of like, I feel very over it in a certain degree. Not over the premise of Saturday Night Live, but just like the, this version of Donald Trump who's just kind of an innocuous buffoon who's very arrogant and, you know, has his certain characteristic, you know, New York accent and Trumpisms. That feels very insufficient to me right now. Now that we, like, have just been through all of this, it's like, okay, here's this person that's you know, sending out dog whistles and sometimes very much like more clearly than dog whistles messages to white supremacists, someone who's like just clearly deeply corruptive for our country. It it just doesn't feel like it holds up anymore. I don't know. Like maybe maybe you can distance yourself from all of that and say satire is still satire and it has its place. Um, but how do you feel about that? What do, what do we do with, with funny Trump now? Well, I think that satire... Uh has a revered place mm-hmm. in, uh, in the American story of of criticizing and offering a critical look at the people that are in power. And I think it has the ability to do that if it's mm-hmm. done well and if it's done with intentionality. So, you know, it's really hard to think of finding this guy funny anymore when there are children in cages and hundreds of, you know, 110,000 people dead because of his recklessness and ineptitude. It's, it's really hard to find it funny, but if Saturday Night Live can offer mm-hmm. biting uh, commentary that, that really relentlessly shines a light on that ineptitude and does it in a way that is satirical, then I welcome it. I think mm-hmm. that is uh, one of the roles of satire and look and one of the roles that it can be mm-hmm. in our in our discourse so i'm looking forward to see what saturday night live does not because i'm looking for a, a shit and a giggle but because i'd like to um see how they offer a critique of this president in a way that is biting and subversive and um, maybe in a way that appeals to some people that maybe don't watch the news or pay attention as much as you and i do um that, that really breaks through that barrier and connects to people. Mm-hmm. So I think there's still a role for it. Uh, I just think it needs to be done well. And I'm really good and done with any what, what about ism. You know, mm-hmm. I think that these shows sometimes they want to make fun of the both, both candidates and make it seem like they're both equally absurd. And mm-hmm. I would like them to, to uh, take a position and run with it and, and have some courage in that respect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely still want to see humor being made. I definitely still want to see satire utilized. I guess the question is just, can it go far enough to actually offer that kind of critique 
to offer that sort of insight and and subversive message as opposed to playing it kind of safe um with some of just the the trumpy tropes that we're used to um but yeah i'm I'll i'm right you, with you on this I'm last right week uh saturday the season premiere was this last week and they did a skit where there were some wholesome looking people talking about how they were going to vote for Trump, but how it was the best thing to happen in in America, and they were very, very wholesome looking. And uh, as the skit uh, continued on, the camera would pan out from each of these respective actors, and behind them there would be a burning cross or a Klan rally. And I think that kind of satire is is particularly effective mm-hmm. and the kind of thing that I'd like to see done more. I thought that it was very courageous. It was in your face as it can get. It wasn't minting words. And I think yeah. that I was pleased to see them do something that that took a little guts and that was making a statement. And that, that, that I welcome that kind of commentary from our, um, our extremely talented Saturday Night Live and other comedians. I think the late night talk shows also do a really good job of, of mm-hmm. criticizing this administration. And, um, you know, we look to them. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. And then one thing I also wanted to make sure we covered um, is just what are you working on now? I've been seeing something called the AM Report is out there now. What is yeah. that and how do people I, watch it? I'm hosting, uh, I'm hosting a 10-minute uh, a political commentary live stream every morning, Mondays through Fridays, called the AM Reports, which is a play on the AM, like the morning and my initials, super clever. And it's for Haps News, which is a new digital media news platform that streams um, to multi, multi, uh, simultaneously to multiple different social media feeds. But if your listeners are interested in following that, they can visit haps.tv slash at. Alex Mahajer, and I'm on Twitter at Alex Mahajer, and uh, just been working uh, on different activism projects. And if people are interested in getting involved before the election, they can do that at rbg.vote. We launched a four RBG campaign that's working to flip the Senate and to win back the White House ahead of November uh, in in the memory of the late Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Mm-hmm. Yeah, awesome. Well, I will be sure to include links to all of that, too, in the episode description for this show. Thank you so much for joining me, Alex. It was good to catch up. Hey, Is there anything else you want to, any pleasure. final comments or wisdom before you really go? Nice. Yeah, I'm just, uh, good luck on the podcast and great to chat with you. And maybe we can do it again uh, a little sooner than two years. Yeah, sounds good. Hopefully <laughs> during a different administration. Yeah, yeah. Your list to God's ears. That was Alex Mohajer on the Comey rule and the Trump stories he wants to see get retold on screen. You can follow him on Twitter at at Alex Mohajer and follow the links included in the description of this episode to watch the AM report on HAPS or support the progressive activism of the Stonewall Democratic Club. The Plot is a production for me, Sean Douglas, and the credits theme music is by Tan Chong Yu. If you liked this show, please subscribe on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you know anyone else you think might like this show, please also consider recommending it or sharing it online where more people can discover it. You can follow me on Twitter at underscore Sean Douglas underscore and this show at The Plot Podcast. 
That's all for today. Thanks for listening.